Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. David, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Excited to talk about some NBA playoffs, get into some MLB news, as well as Chicago Cubs are red hot. And then also getting into our record predictions for the NFL. We'll do a division a week until the season starts. But first, we're going to start this week with our Athlete of the Week, as always. And this week... We looked at the best number sixes in sports. We have a new one every single Monday since the month of June is represented by the number six. This week's was Julius Irving. Julius Irving, also known as Dr. J, had an illustrious 16-year Hall of Fame NBA career for the Philadelphia 76ers. Over his career, he averaged 24.2 points per game on 50% shooting, while also averaging nine rebounds and four assists. His career is full of accolades such as Rookie of the Year, 16-time All-Star, and four MVP awards. He also won an NBA championship in 1983. This week, we took a look at our first best athlete to wear the number six. Next Monday, we will reveal our next one. And now, taking a look at Julius Irving, a phenomenal basketball player in his day. What made him so good? Just the all-around game he has. He could score assist, get rebounds, and he was a pretty solid defensive player. And then, obviously, he kind of changed the game into what it is. It, it, he helped evolve it more in that dunking, these crazy acrobatic plays. He's one of the guys who really started that in the NBA. And he's one of, I think he might be the only one to win um, an MVP in the ABA and the NBA. Yeah, he really did have a great career. And other than having the best Afro in all of sports, he also, when you watch him play, he was so fun to watch. Just in terms of what he could do around the rim, his wingspan was so long that any defender that you thought had a chance of blocking him or defending him well, instantly did not. Because he was able to just move around so well. He was one of the best finishers to ever play in the NBA. So if you ever get the time, I'd recommend go watching a highlight video of Julius Irving. I promise you, you will not regret it. And yesterday, if you have been keeping up with our social media, every Tuesday, we're going to take a look at a birthday. And yesterday was NFL star Santana Moss's birthday. He turned 42. Santana Moss played for the New York Jets and the Washington football team. He was a 16th overall pick in 2001, drafted by the Jets. He spent four years there before he was traded to the Washington football team, where he would go on to spend 10 seasons. He was in the famous Lavernius Coles trade that sent him to the Washington football team. Over his 14-year career, he amassed 732 catches for 10,283 yards and 66 touchdown receptions. He also had three punt return touchdowns in his NFL career as well. He was a Pro Bowler in 2005. Looking at Santana Moss's career, just looking at his stats, a lot better than I remember personally of Santana Moss. Do you consider his career underrated? I think just a little bit. He's not talked about quite as much as he should be. He has four 1,000-yard receiving seasons. He was a very solid player, uh, started a lot of games. And he was healthy. That's not something you see a whole lot. He, The lowest amount of games he played in a season was 12. That was when he was 32. 
excluding uh, his rookie year. But he played most every game in in every season. So just the consistency there. He wasn't a top of top stat getting guy. He wasn't a top five receiver, but he was a consistent day in day out solid option. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go say he was underrated. He was pretty underrated in my opinion. When you look at his career and how it stacks up against some other NFL greats, you look receiving wise, he's less than a thousand yards away from Antonio Brown, and he has more touchdowns currently than Julio Jones in his NFL career. And those are two receivers we already talk about as two of the greatest to ever play the game with the statistics they currently have. So for me, I'm I'm impressed by Santana Moss. I really am. I remember watching him, and he was an exciting player to watch. I remember him mostly with the Washington football team, especially his time with RG3. That's kind of when I really started to notice Santana Moss was the RG3 days, and then post-RG3 as well. But just seeing what he was able to do in his career, I definitely think he was underrated because I know for me, when I looked up his stats to see where he was and kind of how he ranked, I was shocked to see 10,000-yard receiver, 60-plus touchdowns. For any NFL wide receiver, that's a very good career, a very good career, and I don't think Santana Moss gets that kind of respect. I, when I think of the best receivers of the decade, Santana Moss wouldn't even be in the conversation, but statistically, you look over his time that he played in the NFL, he could be in the argument of the top 15. And I, I Personally, without looking at his stats, I wouldn't have put him there. So for me, I'm going to say yes, I do believe he's underrated. And also, today in sports, Ken Griffey Jr. was drafted number one overall in the 1987 MLB draft by the Seattle Mariners. Griffey would go on to have a 22-year Hall of Fame career. He'd become a 13-time All-Star, an MVP, and earn 10 gold gloves. He smacked 630 home runs, ranking him 7th of all time, and earned the Silver Slugger 7 times. Griffey proved to be well worth the first overall pick. And looking at Ken Griffey and all that he did, the accolades I just said, where would you rank him in terms of the number one picks of all time in the MLB? I'm putting him at number one. There are really three guys that can contend, in my mind, uh, who whose careers are fully over. You have Ken Griffey Jr., uh, Chipper Jones, and A-Rod. I, there, there's an asterisk next to A-Rod for me, so it's just... Ken Griffey Jr. and Chipper Jones. And overall, Ken Griffey Jr. has a little more war, which isn't what made this decision for me. It's just how much he meant to that Mariners franchise as a whole. He, When you think Mariners, you think Ken Griffey Jr. He's one of the reasons they're still in, uh, in Seattle. He, he is that franchise, even though he's been retired for a number of years he is the quintessential mariner and that is well worth a number one overall pick yeah when you look at it he's well worth number one overall pick in in terms of where i have him ranked of all time it was tough for me when i was thinking about it, just like you i'm gonna put him number two behind a rod it was tough because when i look at a rod and what he did over his career he was very good with the mariners but his best baseball came later, came after his time with the Mariners. So that's why it was tough for me to put him at number one. But then I thought about it, and just in terms of number one overall picks, not necessarily where they performed the best, 
I do have to give it to A-Rod. Both of them, though, fantastic careers. And Ken Griffey Jr. is one of those guys that a lot of people talk about in the sport of baseball today. They want to make the sport more fun, more enjoyable. He's that type of player that if you're someone wanting to get into baseball and kind of see the fun of baseball, check out Ken Griffey Jr. He's that type of guy that, and you don't have to be a big baseball fan to want to have a Ken Griffey Jr. jersey. Like, he is kind of, not the face of baseball at all, but he's one of those guys that when you think of some of the best players and some of your favorite players, he's one that comes to mind. He's a very popular player to follow. So he was drafted first overall today in 1987. And also, a little hint for tomorrow. Be sure to check out our trivia post for tomorrow. And an early hint will be it's going to keep the same theme as number sixes this month. So now we're going to shift into the NBA. In the NBA playoffs, there's been some series that are just not that great. We have seen a sweep. And then we also saw a five-game series already finished. But then there's been some really good series, one of which is the Nuggets versus the Blazers. Last night, Damian Lillard's efforts with 55 points were not enough to hold off the Nuggets as they take a 3-2 series lead. Looking at this series so far, and specifically last night's game, what are some of your thoughts about that game? Free Damian Lillard. That's, that's pretty much all that can be thought of. Either the Blazers need to put more talent around him, which is is obvious. They desperately need more talent, or he needs to move on. I don't think he's ever going to move on from being a trailblazer, which is just not seen very often in today's game. So they really have to add some help around him, be, be that via trade or free agency, uh, there aren't too many big names that stick out in free agency. Kawhi Leonard, but I don't, I don't think he's going to Portland. Uh, and then I don't think you have enough assets to really trade for a star. So he's really in purgatory right now, and that's a, a tough spot to be in. Yeah, my main thoughts about that game, one thing that I learned, and learned the hard way, I was somewhat of a fan of C.J. McCollum. I thought he was a pretty decent uh, number two to Damian Lillard, not in any terms of what he actually deserved, but in terms of what you could have, he wasn't the worst number two you could have. I've now backtracked on that. C.J. McCollum was awful last night. He was really bad. When you look at it, he had three turnovers, two of which came, one was before the overtime, at the very end, almost cost them a chance for OT. And the second one, he stepped out of bounds in overtime. And then you look at, okay, he played 51 minutes, took 22 shots. He only made seven of them. Two of eight from three. He was terrible last night. And it's a shame. It really is a shame because Damian Lillard was phenomenal. It cannot be understated how good he was last night. And then you look at it in terms of everyone else. You talk about these guys that are going to step up and help Damian Lillard out. There's not much there, like you said. But you'd expect Carmelo Anthony to maybe step up and be 15-point guy. No, only comes up with eight. Robert Covington had 19, and he was the second-highest scorer on the team last night. It goes from 55 points to 19. That's too much of a gap. And I I did learn, my thoughts about last night's game was, Damian Lillard, he can make anything. He really can. It doesn't matter how many people you put on him. 
he's going to make it in crunch time. And we'll get into how clutch Damian Lillard is here next. But all you had to know about that game last night was Austin Rivers' reaction after Damian Lillard finally missed in the overtime period. He just he just put his hands in a praying motion and said, finally. And that's really what you have to do with Damian Lillard is just hope that he actually misses. And now talking about Damian Lillard some more here, would you consider him the clutchest player in the league? At this point in the postseason, yes. He can just seemingly will the ball into the basket from wherever he is on the court. I remember we were watching the game yesterday and he was pulling up from the logo, pulling up from deep three-point range. And after a while, it's how, how can these still be going in? He's smothered, he's double-teamed, and he's still just chucking up shots and making them every single time. He hit two uh, three-pointers uh, to force overtime and then another one to force double overtime. He is probably the best player in the in a tough spot, in a close game, you want Damian Lillard. Yeah, I, I'm going to say he is the clutchest player in the league. There's not a single person I'd want taking a shot at the end of the game other than Damian Lillard, and purely because he can make it from anywhere. He really can. It doesn't matter where he's lined up, who's guarding him, he can put it in from anywhere. And this isn't just now. Like This didn't just start last night. He just showed us all again why... It's like that. You look at the series they had against the Thunder when he pulled up on Paul George from practically the logo, step back, drilled it. You look against the Houston Rockets very early in his career, drained it to win the series. This is nothing new for him, but there's not a singular player I would take over him. And when you look at how they got two double overtime, they were down, I believe it was six points, and then they sent the Nuggets to the free throw line for a couple more shots. But he scored nine straight points, three straight threes in the final minute 30, final two minutes, to force that second overtime. When you look at it, what he had to do to get the Nuggets and to get the Nuggets into another overtime in terms of playing the Nuggets, he had to do it all. He had to will this team. And that's exactly what he did. And it's just when you look at this Portland team. It's frustrating knowing that no one else could step up and if, if the ball wasn't in his hands, something bad was going to happen. It was going to be a bad shot. It was going to be a turnover. It's frustrating watching this happen to Damian Lillard because I've said it time and time again. He's one of my favorite guys in this league. Very underrated guy. His performance he had last night, when you look at it in terms of NBA, greatest performance in playoff history, that has to be one of them. He had 12 three-pointers in a playoff game, 55 points, no one else on his team had over 20. He's the type of guy that can carry a team if you can finally get a star with him. Finally get a star with him, Portland will be successful. I just don't think it's going to happen. And looking at this Portland team, now down 3-2 in this series, is Portland in serious trouble? Is it time to panic for this team? I think panic might be the wrong word, but kind of, I, I, overall I didn't think they really had much of a chance coming in, so it's not too big of a surprise to me to see that they are uh, down in the series. You have to just do everything you can to make Damian Lillard 
be better, have him reach his fullest potential, he's going to have to go out there and score 50, 60 points if you want to win. That loss was just uh, one of the one in 20 games where someone has scored 50 points or more and their team still lost. And that's including a number of Wilt Chamberlain games when scoring was a lot higher. So you just have to basically pray that Damian Lillard continues to just be the best player on the court at all times and the Nuggets just aren't great. Yeah, when I look at this, they are in trouble. It's time to panic a little bit. I didn't think Portland would have it a 3-2 series right now. I really didn't. And with Jamal Murray, we're probably not talking about this series anymore. It's probably over. But looking at how they played the series, we're at 2-2. Yes, it's time to panic. Last night was a huge swing game in this series. If Portland takes that game, goes up 3-2, I truly believe they have a chance to finish this series off and come out on top. But now down 3-2 having to win two straight against this Nuggets team, I don't think they can. And all last night, every time Denver went on offense, you saw pick and rolls left and right, and they were just trying to get the ball to Jokic, get him a good matchup, and let him be the scorer. He's a guy up there for MVP. I mean, it's a smart game plan. It's what you should do. But they had multiple times that they could have put that game away in the regular period, fourth quarter. They had multiple opportunities to put that game away. They needed to. Then you get to overtime. You need to finish that game. Close that out before it gets a double OT. Because the longer you take this game on, the better of a chance the Nuggets had to win that game. So the fact they got to the second overtime explains why the Nuggets won. They're the better team. But if you want to upset a team like this, a team you're not supposed to beat, you have to do it quickly. You can't, the longer it takes the better the other team's going to get. So this game, in my opinion, swung the series. At 2-2, I was shocked. It got to 2-2, but that was the swing. I don't think there's a chance that Portland wins two straight and wins this series. They may take it to a game seven just because Damian Lillard. I respect Damian Lillard way too much to count him out of a game seven. But this Portland team no longer will win this series. This series is done. The Nuggets are going to take it. And it may be seven. And then looking at this Nuggets team, they've played phenomenal throughout this season and also this playoff series here against a good Portland team in terms of you're going up against Damian Lillard who just dropped 55 points last night. What are the Nuggets doing that makes them so good not having Jamal Murray on the court? Uh, it's really their bench and their role players that they're getting a lot of production out of. Uh, you have guys coming off the bench scoring 28 points. You have a just a solid team off the bench that with starter quality talent as well as uh, Michael Porter Jr. is, I think, uh, overplaying how good he is. He's playing beyond where his norm is. Uh he he could really change and turn into that uh, first option or that second option behind Jokic without Jamal Murray. But as of right now, he's overperforming. And 
that is just another catalyst to push the Nuggets and have them be a better team. Yeah, I mean, obviously having an MVP caliber player is very nice, but I think you're exactly right with this team. Last night it was Michael Porter Jr. It was also Morris coming off the bench. Guys scoring high-quality points, 28 out of Morris, 26 out of Michael Porter Jr. When you look at that, you go, okay, that's great. But like you said, he's overplaying. You're not going to consistently get that. But that's the thing about this Nuggets team. It's not always Michael Porter Jr. You have Aaron Gordon who can step up and be that guy. He can give you 25 points a game. He can do that. Then you look, Austin Rivers has also had a very good series. There was multiple times last night that Austin Rivers stepped up and he was the one that made the big three that they needed. When Portland went down and made a nice shot, it was Rivers that responded. And I thought he did a good job. I mean, having to guard Damian Lillard is not fun whatsoever. But I thought he responded well in his offensive performance. He had 18 points. But that's why the Nuggets are great. You got bench players scoring 20-plus points. You have two starters, 20-plus points. You have Rivers, almost 20. And then another starter scoring 14. You just have consistency all the way around, and it's never the same guy. It's someone new that can step up for you and can be that guy to score 26. It can be Gordon. It can be Rivers. And that's what makes them so good. You look at these other teams that are top-heavy in terms of talent, like Damian Lillard, for example. He doesn't have that. He scores 55, no one else is scoring over 20, like last night. You look at Golden State with Steph Curry. He scores 50 points, you'll be lucky to get another player over 20. That's what other teams are dealing with, not this Nuggets team. And it's a shame that Jamal Murray had the injury because this team is very dangerous, and I would love to see Jamal Murray in the playoffs once again. But this team has a bright future, a really bright future, just in terms of depth and star talent. I'm excited for this team. And now looking at Damian Lillard and Nikola Jokic, if you were building a team starting from scratch and you could pick one of them to start and build your team around, who are you taking, Lillard or Jokic? I'm going to take Jokic. Part of it is because he's younger. That's just a good idea for a franchise. Go with the younger player. They're going to have a longer career or future career, but I think Jokic offers you something in a big man that is less is seen less in the NBA. There are only a couple guys like Jokic who can score really efficiently uh, in close and outside, who can defend well, who can pass well, whereas with Damian Lillard, a top-tier scorer and a well-rounded overall player, but you see that more often with guards and smaller players. So the fact that you're getting that with a big is a really large draw for me, so I'm going to go with Jokic. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with Damian Lillard, and I'm going with Damian Lillard for a couple of reasons. We talked about his clutchness, first off. Having a player that you can trust in the biggest moment to make the shot, no matter who's guarding him, in any situation that you're in, I think it's huge in leaning me in that direction. But also, I do agree with you that you see more well-roundedness in terms of guards than you do you do big men. Because in terms of big men, there's a couple really good ones. Anthony Davis, Jokic, there's a couple of those really good guys. And guards, you think about it, okay, yeah, there's 
there's multiple good, really good guards in this league. But in my opinion, when I look at it in terms of just pure point guard, right now in the NBA, it's Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, and they have a big gap in between the next point guard with them. And when I look at the talent of Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, and those type of guys, those are just, they're changing the NBA. It's not, it wasn't common six years ago for someone to pull up from the logo and just consistently make it where they can shoot from anywhere on the court and you hold your breath for a second because you know it might go in. Having that type of a scoring ability for me is what I want to build my team around. And it's hard to go against Jokic because he does a lot of things very well. But for me, just the pure scoring, the way the league has kind of changed a little bit, just in terms of like the last eight NBA champions, only one of them's had a true big man. The Warriors won it without a true big man. They were more of a scoring with the guards. Cleveland, did when they won it, didn't have a true big man. The Lakers, I would say, are kind of the first team in the last few years with a true top talent center, forward, excuse me, to win it. So for me, just the way the league's changing, I'm going to roll with Damian Lillard. And now, moving on to our next series, the Phoenix Suns destroy the Los Angeles Lakers to take a 3-2 series lead. Looking at this Lakers team, they were all over the place last night, and not in a good way. What is wrong with this Lakers team? Uh, inefficiency, in a word. They just can't score efficiently. You have guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, no points on 15 minutes. Dennis Schroeder, no points on 25 minutes. 0 for 9 from the field. Even LeBron was 9 for 19 from the field. They just, there was no efficiency there. And on the other side of that, they're allowing the Suns to shoot 45% from the field and score just really efficiently. There's no real backup behind LeBron anymore with Anthony Davis hurt. There's no second score, second option. You have a couple of guys who are okay, but none of your starters were, besides LeBron, were above 10 points. You had Kuzma and Horton Tucker uh, hitting double digits, but besides that, there really wasn't a lot of depth there, and that's a really important thing in the playoffs. Yeah, when you look at this this game, lost by 30, I believe was the final score that they ended up losing by in that game. I look at Schroeder not scoring, KCP not scoring a point. That's two starters with zero points. And I look at Andre Drummond and Morris scoring four and seven. That's not odd. Andre Drummond scoring close to 10 points with 10 plus rebounds. That's what the Lakers want from Andre Drummond. Obviously, the Anthony Davis out, you'd like more. But that's what they want from him. LeBron has a typical LeBron type of night in terms of stat line. Overall play didn't really seem like himself. But stat line, 24-7-5, that's been pretty common since he's got to the Lakers with Anthony Davis. It's normally Davis who's the higher scorer. Lost by 30 in this one. Who would have brought you those 30 points that you needed to keep this game competitive? Maybe your star who doesn't play all that much in terms of injury this year, previous years, missed a lot of games. That's what the Lakers need. This team is built around Anthony Davis kind of being the alpha scorer 
LeBron being the next guy up, but also a facilitator. He's going to get eight assists a game. And last night he was on par with that, seven assists in just 32 minutes for him. This team is so used to Anthony Davis being that guy that when he's off the court, we see the true struggles of this team. Teams, right, well, the Suns last night, for example, they defensively said, okay, make outside shooters beat us. We're not going to let LeBron drive the lane and score these easy buckets. Make outside shooters beat us. Schroeder, KCP, two guards who's supposed to be your outside shooters, didn't show up, didn't play well whatsoever. That's how the Suns are going to be successful in this series. If Anthony Davis doesn't play next game, the Lakers will need LeBron James to pull a Cleveland Cavaliers against the Warriors type LeBron James performance if they want to stick around. And that does LeBron have that? Of course. I'm never going to doubt LeBron James in terms of does he have what it takes to do that. But it's not what he should have to do anymore. LeBron is 36 now. Things are changing. That's why they went and got Anthony Davis to let him be what he was last night. Just a more efficient version of what he was last night. A lot of last year, you look at the playoff run they went on in a finals game. KCP went all of nine, zero points, and they won the game. It wasn't, it isn't uncommon. It's just glaring without Anthony Davis. That's what's wrong with this Lakers team. Anthony Davis is the focal point, and he's a glaring missing part of this team right now. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to continue to get into this Suns Lakers series. And then move into one of the first series that ended, the Nets and the Celtics. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. We're going to continue our Suns vs. Lakers series talk here. Suns, after destroying the Lakers, up 3-2 in this series. And now looking at this Lakers team some more here. On a scale of 1-10, to 10, 10 being you are very worried about this team, where do you rank about this Lakers team? How worried are you? Uh, seven or eight. Uh, very worried in, in summation. They're just not good around LeBron. They're not putting together a quality team that should perform well and be a good team around LeBron. And that's really frustrating. Your role players aren't doing what they should be. And your second star is out, so you you really don't have anywhere to go. I thought the Suns were going to win this series before Anthony Davis got hurt, and with him hurt now, there's questions about it, the upcoming game and if there's a Game 7, if he'll play in either of those two games. But it's just it doesn't really matter because the Suns are just better overall. And that's, that's really frustrating to see because LeBron is so talented and you kind of see that talent wasted, at least this season. Yeah, when I look at this this Lakers team, I'm with you. I'm about a seven, seven and a half right now, mainly because of Anthony Davis' injury. He's been a guy that he's been injured a lot, and when he tends to get injured, he, missed, he misses chunks of time. It's not normally just, okay, a game off. He normally misses chunks of time here. They cannot afford Anthony Davis to miss a game in this series. It showed last night. It will continue to show. The only thing the Lakers have that prevents me from saying this is 10, all out worried about this Lakers team, 
is LeBron James's performances in closeout games. When he's had when he's had the opportunity to get closed out, he's stepped up. When his legacy's been on the line, he's shown up. Here's another example of that. That's the only reason I'm not at a 10 right now. You have role players, and this has happened all year long, but Anthony Davis and LeBron James cover so much. They hide all these glaring holes on this roster. You have role players who don't show up, very inconsistent, and that's all up and down this roster. This team has a lot of issues, and yeah, sure, they have big names. You have Mo Harrell, you have Marcus Gasol, Andre Drummond, KCP, Dennis Schroeder, but they're not playing up to their name right now, and that's worrisome for this Lakers team. You need other people to step up. Dennis Schroeder turned down an $80 million contract. Looking at his play so far, he'd be lucky to get another $80 million contract from somebody just based off his play here as of late alone. So for me, I'm really worried about this team. They need Anthony Davis back. And even then, like you said, the Suns are a tough team. Being down 3-2 to the number two seed is difficult. Now, looking at Anthony Davis a little bit here, would you consider Anthony Davis an injury-prone player? Yes, I I think he is an injury-prone player. Just looking at his regular season stats, in seven years, he's... Oh, no, it's uh, more than that. But in however many years he's played, uh, he's only had two seasons above 70 games played. That's just not enough from your star player. There are big gaps of him only playing 30, him playing 50s. You need more consistency. You Having a very talented star player is great, but if they're not on the floor... It doesn't really matter. So he he is definitely more of an injury-prone player than some of these other star players we see. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And I would go as far to say is he's the most injury-prone star in the NBA right now. When you look at it in terms of how much he's played this season, very minimal throughout the regular season. And now postseason when the Lakers didn't care. The regular season did not matter to them. LeBron James, Anthony Davis getting healthy was their priority. They kept them out for huge chunks of games. Now he's injured in the postseason. He's supposed to be the kind, the guy of this team. Really, that's the way it is. LeBron James is more the facilitator, second-tier type guy. Anthony Davis is supposed to be the guy, the face of the L.A. Lakers. And he's on the sideline trying to hype his team up in his street clothes. You can't have it. You can't. You absolutely cannot have it. And if this doesn't prove anything, it will prove one thing. that There's a reason Anthony Davis never got out of the second round of the playoffs without LeBron James. And here it is, right here. Because he is not on the court, very consistent with injuries. And also, you look at it. He does have some inconsistent games as well. So, for me, Anthony Davis needs to get back out there on this court for the Lakers. And also, he has a chance to really set his career off as well. Two straight championships? That would look really good on his resume in terms of what he's already done in the league. And he's the only obstacle in the way of getting to that. And now looking at this Suns team, 
They've played fantastic as of late. Take the 3-2 series lead. And last night, 30-point victory. Why are the Suns so effective? Just the ability to go to different guys. They're, obviously, there's a clear number one score with Devin Booker. And Chris Paul is probably that number two star. But in that role players, in that bench, you can go to a bunch of different guys. You, the opponent never knows who's going to be that bench focus, that sixth man. And the ability to go to different guys off the bench is something that right now the Lakers are lacking. So the Suns just, and especially in this previous game, they were more efficient. They just played better basketball. They had more assists, less turnovers. They just, they completely outplayed the Lakers overall. Yeah. They're so effective because everything you just said, and also their defense right now. They're playing fantastic defensively. They're forcing turnovers left and right on this Lakers team. And they're getting in the head of this Lakers team. LeBron James, there was one point last night, he didn't even go on the defensive break. And his man scored an easy bucket. And he walked off the court with five minutes left. And he went into the locker room early. They're in the heads of this Lakers team. They have them right where they want them. A closeout opportunity. You have role players, like you said, playing fantastic. You're playing great defense. You are very efficient. They're just playing perfect team basketball right now. And that's what the Suns need. And that's why I thought Chris Paul would bring to them when he came to this team. When he was out there for trade, for agency, I said the Suns would be a good spot. Just in terms of what he does in in terms of team developing. He's done that here with the Suns. This team was a close to a playoff team in the bubble. Had a fantastic run. But Chris Paul's what's put this team over the top. And he is the model of efficiency. He is that. They call him the point god for a reason. He's brought that to the Suns. And it's fun to watch. The Suns are a fun and exciting team. And they're a young team at that. This team's dangerous. And now looking at Chris Paul... Is this Suns team finally the team that gets him out of the second round? I think so. They're just a well-rounded team. The only who who they're playing in the second round is either Portland, which I think is unlikely, or the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets can put up a fight. There's going to be uh Jokic is going to be Jokic, but overall I think defensively they can slow him down and slow the Nuggets down, and they'll be able to get out of the second round. And with the team Chris Paul has around him, I could definitely see them uh, going to the finals and possibly winning it. Yeah, with I, I agree. This is I think this is the team that can get him out of the second round. If they get past this Lakers team right now, up 3-2, I think they make it past their next opponent as well. You look at Denver... Devin Booker is an elite type of scorer, and he has all these bench and role players with him, exactly what Damian Lillard doesn't have. This this team would get past the Nuggets. It would be a good series, but they get past the Nuggets. And then Portland, they they would also, in my opinion, run Portland. This, their offensive ability, they run Portland. So if they get out of this series 
Anthony Davis doesn't play, or he does come back, and they still get out of this series, they're going to the conference finals, and they'll have a good matchup, whoever they're going to meet there. It's going to be a tough team, but this this team's veteran leadership brought by Chris Paul is the reason they're going to make it this far. And I really do believe, second round, they're moving on. It's all about closing this series out against the Lakers because they are down, they are injured, but if Anthony Davis and LeBron James are on the court at the same time, they are a tough out for anybody. So it'll be an interesting end to that series. Now moving on to the Nets-Celtics series. Nets close out the Celtics in five, in five causing quite a shakeup in Boston. Now looking at this series, did the big three outperform your expectations that you had for them? Uh, just a little bit. I thought there was going to be a little less scoring and more from guys on the bench, but uh, those those big three, Durant, Irving, and Harden, really came together and showed out, put on an absolute clinic against the Celtics, and the Celtics just had a tough year, but it's they, the uh, the Nets outperformed my expectations. Now they're going up against the Bucks. It it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, when I look at the big three, I thought they outperformed my expectations by quite a bit. And when I look at this, I shouldn't be too surprised because it is Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, three of the better scorers in the league. But just the way that they handled business against this Boston team, I know this was a very a struggling Boston team, don't get me wrong. But just the way that those three played so well together, they had really no time in the year in which they had time to build up a chemistry, and they came out here and just dominated from game one. They were clearly the better team, and they played like it every night. I was surprised by it. You look at these other big threes, and they tend to have struggles at some point. Early on, look at the Heat. They had their struggles. Golden State as well, struggling to get by a Clippers team in the first round. It happens. This team, no. They were ready. They answered the bell. I'm impressed with this team. And it just reaffirms my prediction of them going to the finals. They're just so good. They're playing fantastic basketball right now. They did outperform my expectations. And now looking at a little controversy going on in between this series... Kyrie Irving went out to the Celtics logo, which is their mascot, and it appears that he stepped on it, maybe even swiped his foot a little bit. There's people like uh, Big Nate Davis, Kevin Garnett stepping out, saying how it's disrespectful to the team. What are your thoughts on the situation? I never really understood uh, the, like, don't step on the logo. I, I get it when it's in the locker room and you can like easily walk around that but on the court guys are doing that during the game the entire time maybe he did go out of his way to step on it more it it's a piece of wood on the floor there's not that that's all it is yes it represents something more but there are logos Celtics logos everywhere and people have done probably a lot worse to Celtics logos than just stepped on it Yet when I look at this situation, when I look at it in terms of the situation with Kyrie, how his time ended with Boston, what he said about the Celtics since then, and then the act, yes, I get it why Celtics players are stepping up and they're wanting to uh, perform better, things like that. I'd understand that. But you guys have you have guys like Kevin Garnett and Nate Davis 
who have no ties to this series other than that they played for the Boston Celtics. The fact that they're the ones that are coming out and talking about it, I don't understand. It's different. I, I get it in terms of sports. Someone plants a flag on your logo in football, college football, NFL, or if someone steps on your logo um, and swipes their foot. I get it, disrespecting your logo. But that's something that you use in the locker room as motivation. That's not an outside factor for other people. Sure, you could be upset by it. I know a lot of people were upset. Ohio State fans were upset when Baker Mayfield planned the flag uh, after he beat them. Well, if you don't like it, wise words of Cam Newton, you need to beat them. You need to stop them if you don't like it. So, for me, the outside people talking about it, that should all just be talk at this point. Um, nothing any more than that. Sure, the Celtics team, should you feel disrespected? Yeah. Should you use it as motivation? Yeah. That's as far as that should go, though. It's just competitive. It's two guys going at each other. Kyrie doesn't have a whole res- re- whole lot of respect for the Celtics and that organization. And the Celtics organization and players don't have a whole lot of respect for Kyrie. It goes both ways. Kyrie Irving's been known to go about different ways of letting his opinions known. And it's just another way about it. Now, looking at this series, what's one thing that you learned from this series now that it's finished? Uh, the Celtics need help around Jason Tatum in some way. I'm not sure exactly where you're going to get it. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the front office in just a second. But for the most part, the Celtics front office has been just very shrewd, I guess, in the moves they make. They can trade big names for picks that work out really well for them. Uh, Their ability to make big trades is something that you don't see a lot in other teams, and they need to do that now. They need to change something, and maybe going into the draft, you move up for a big man, because that's something you're really lacking if you can develop the guys you have then you're going to have a better time but right now your center situation is subpar and you need a big guy who can get rebounds and control the paint that's a big problem for your team right now yeah well I learned a couple things from the series one I talked about a little bit earlier truly how good this Nets team is how far and away they are this Celtics team was hot down the stretch, especially in the playing tournament. The Nets dismantled them, took them out easily. And then also another thing that I learned, Kemba Walker cannot be on this roster come next season. He can't be. He's He played poor throughout the regular season, and then come postseason time, where was he? He wasn't there. The Celtics have been looking for a point guard, since they trade away Isaiah Thomas, who was a good point guard for them, you bring you bring in Kyrie Irving. I get why you make the trades. Kyrie Irving didn't work out. Injuries, inconsistencies didn't work out for you. Bring in Kemba Walker, a good point guard with the Hornets. Inconsistencies, injuries, once again. He cannot be getting paid as much as he's getting paid to not um, step in and be that second-tier guy every single night. And he's not that. This Celtics team has to move on from Kemba Walker. Like you said, get some more help for this team. Free up some money by getting rid of Kemba Walker. Go get somebody big. Go help this team out. 
whether it be a center, whether it be just another nice piece on this roster, they need more because if they keep this team together, and I don't think they will, with the front office moves that they've made, there's going to be some big moves coming. But if they were to keep this roster going to next year, they would be lucky to probably make the playoffs. They'd be a borderline playoff team like we kind of saw for most where they sat most of this year. And now looking at the big shakeups, Brad Stevens, head coach of the Boston Celtics, steps down and moves his way into the front office while Danny Ainge, longtime front office personnel, leaves the organization. Rumors are he could be heading to Utah. Looking at this situation, do you like Brad Stevens stepping down? Uh, yeah, I, I like it. His moving to the front office, I'm, I'm a big Brad Stevens fan. I think he's just a smart overall coach. And giving him the ability to not be kind of giving him a step back to focus more big picture and molding this team around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is going to be good for the team overall. Danny Ainge leaving is tough because he's brought you all kinds of success. Your last just throughout pretty much 2000 onward he's given you all that success and seeing him leave is definitely tough yeah I like Brad Stevens stepping down because I agree with you he is a very smart basketball mind very smart but he lost this team this team wasn't out there playing their hardest for Brad Stevens and I think it was I think it was noticeable very early on in this year that he had lost the locker room in a way. So I like this move by the Celtics because he is so smart. Get him into the front office where he doesn't necessarily have to coach and keep the locker room because that's one of the hardest things about coaching is just setting a culture and keeping everyone bought in. That's one of the most difficult things to do. And Brad Stevens did for a little bit, but he lost it. Now he has a chance to head to the front office and help build this roster. I mean, you have that smart of a basketball mind in your front office you're bound to be somewhat successful. I don't think the Celtics team's all that far away from being a top-tier team in the East. They were just two years ago. But I think this is the right move. Moving on from Stevens, keeping him within the organization, that's not something you normally see, is keeping a coach within the organization. This is one of the first times I've ever seen something happen like this. But I do like it. I think it's a smart move for the Celtics. It's going to help them in the long run. Now looking at Brad Stevens, after he stepped down, it leaves a glaring hole at the coaching position. Who's somebody you think could come in and replace him? Uh, there's been a lot of talk about who could come in, but the leading candidate for me is Jason Kidd. He was, he, he was a coach a little bit uh, for the Nets and the Bucks, but that, that never really panned out. I think it could work... Uh, more now with the Celtics, he could really work in that organization. He's a has an incredibly high basketball IQ, really understands the game well, and you have two very talented stars on this Celtics roster that working in conjunction with Brad Stevens, you can really build around them and make something really special. I, I do have high hopes for this Celtics team. Yeah, when I look at some coaching option, options, 
Obviously, Jason Kidd's one big name out there. I'm going to go with another big name that I think would fit in well, and that's Chauncey Billups. I like the idea of adding Chauncey Billups because when you look at his resume, it's one thing we've seen sweeping the NBA is former players getting hedge coaching positions. That's something we're seeing more and more often. Why not take a look at his resume, what he did as an NBA player? Five-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, 2004 NBA champion, and was the Finals MVP, two-time All-Defense, and he enjoyed a pretty long career. Retired when he was 37 years old. Played from 1997 to 2014. A very long NBA career. When I look at this, he has all the things you're looking for. Playoff experience as a player. Being a player, the ability to coach up these new players in a way that they find more more suiting for themselves. And then all this experience. Chauncey Billups for me is an exciting hire. It's something that I think the fans in Boston would enjoy. And you also get the fans excited with this hire. Jason Kidd also I think would be an exciting hire. But there's a couple names out there being tossed around that if they were hired, it'd be like, okay, smart basketball mind. But it doesn't excite me. Chauncey Billups excites me. And that's what Boston needs. They need to get this organization to buy back in. And I think I think Jason Tatum could learn quite a bit from Chauncey Billups. I know Billups was a guard in his career, but just his overall basketball mind, I think Jason Tatum can learn a lot from that. And Jason Tatum's already an ascending player. Why not get him towards the top? So we're going to take our next break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, Joel Embiid dealing with some injuries, going to miss tonight's game. We're going to take a look at that. And the Bucks sweep the heat before we head into some MLB news. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HG2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And now we're going to get into some 76ers talk here. Currently leading the Washington Wizards in the third quarter. Joel Embiid not playing tonight as he's dealing with an injury. Is it concerning that Joel Embiid's missing time now in the postseason? Yes, absolutely. Joel Embiid has a pretty significant injury history, uh, especially to his lower body. Uh, didn't play for the first couple years of his career just with uh, lower body injuries to his, I believe it was an ankle or a knee. Uh, and then this one being now a small meniscus tear. Anytime the word, even if it's with small, the word tear in anything to do with the knee is not good, obviously. Uh, it could get so much worse very quickly. So if he goes out there and plays, he could get hurt a lot worse and never really be the same. He could be fine, but it, right now you have to make the decision of leveraging his long-term future or your want to win right now. Yeah, when I look at it, it is concerning, like you said, because the injury history and all that. But I also am a little worried in terms of just overall the Sixers team without Joel Embiid. Can Ben Simmons lead this team through the postseason? I'm not worried about the Wizards. They're up 3-1 on the Wizards. They could drop tonight. But if he is to miss significant time, maybe a couple games in the next series, can he carry 
a team through the series without Joel Embiid? I don't know. We're going to find out if it has to happen, but I'm not positive that he can, and that's the biggest concern right now outside of Embiid possibly missing long-term time is can Ben Simmons be enough to carry this team? I mean, when you look at it, I mean, that's just two big men, Embiid, Anthony Davis. We're talking about missing time with injury, and it is concerning for both of them. And Embiid, I would say, I'd probably say a little bit more concerning just because I trust LeBron to have to step up a little bit. If he was going up against the Wizards in a series, I would not be worried either. But I'm looking Ben Simmons round two. That's what's worrying me the most. And now I talked about it a little bit. Are the 76ers capable of beating the Wizards without him? I say so. Up 3-1 already. I think they finished this thing off. I believe they're up about 10 right now. So what do you think? Yeah, I think they can take this one relatively easily against the Wizards. They're a one seed for a reason. Then they're going to have to go up against either the Knicks or the Hawks. And it gets a little tougher. I'm not sure how well you're going to be able to progress after you beat the Wizards, assumedly. After you beat them, what is... Like, where is your main source of scoring coming from? It's not Embiid anymore. I don't think that uh, Simmons can be a lead scorer if he can't take a jump shot. So where are you going from there? There isn't a big name that jumps out at me. Seth Curry, maybe. But I don't. he's not a number one scorer on a team. So it's going to get a lot tougher after you get past the Wizards. I'm sure the Sixers wish it was Steph Curry. Maybe then you could trust him to win the series. Now looking at another series in the East here, the Bucks sweep the Miami Heat, and they made it look easy. Completely opposite of what we saw in the bubble last year. What's the biggest regret of this Heat team, whether it be this season or also in this series? I think just not putting more talent around Jimmy Butler. He it's it's similar to what we're seeing right now with uh, LeBron and Damian Lillard. They're talented players, and you are a good team, but you're just not quite there because there isn't enough depth or there isn't that second star. And what the Heat need is a second star. Right now they're asking just way too much of Jimmy Butler They're asking him to be their lead ball handler and facilitator, lead scorer, and best defender. That's just not feasible. So either add somebody in free agency, get a high draft pick, which they're not going to, they're going to have to trade up for a draft pick if they want a significant one or make a big trade. Right now, the thing that pops into my mind is Kawhi Leonard. That's a star. Yeah, and Pat Riley's shown in the past he's he's very willing to go add stars to this roster. I mean, you look at Bosch, you look at LeBron James, and you look at previously when he was the coach, you got guys like Shaq, Alonzo Mourning, and then Jimmy Butler himself. So when I look at this, I agree with you. It's the biggest regret's not adding a star, and I'm going to go a little bit further with that. The biggest regret of the Miami Heat, and I thought they should have then and I definitely do now was they it was rumored that they did not want 
didn't want to add Tyler Harrow in a trade to get James Harden. That's kind of what prevented that deal from happening. They wanted to ship him over to the East, and Tyler Harrow in Miami and being in the East, that was what held that trade up. That's the biggest regret of the Miami Heat. Not finishing off that trade for James Harden. When I look at a long-term basketball building, yes, I understand what they were trying to do there, keeping Tyler Harrow. But when you look at it, James Harden is hes by far and away better than Tyler Hero. And that's not to say Tyler Hero won't have a good NBA career. I think he'll have a decent one. I don't think he's going to be a star by any means. But James Harden is a top seven, possibly even top five player in the NBA. You absolutely trade him for that, especially knowing your window is now. You can win right now. You were just in the finals last year. James Harden would be the perfect complement to Jimmy Butler. You have defense. You have facilitating. And you also have scoring when you need it. Then you have James Harden, who is elite scorer, volume shooter. Everything the Miami Heat need is right there. Now, you look at free agency, you brought up Kawhi Leonard. That's another guy, elite scorer, elite defender, big name. James Harden could have brought that to them this year, and I think they get past this series with James Harden. It would be tough. The Bucks are no easy win, but James Harden with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and obviously some other depth pieces that they have, I think they win this series. It'll be tough, but I think they do. Now taking a look at the next series that's already set, Nets versus Bucks. What are you excited to see? I'm excited to see Giannis defensively. There are a lot of, obviously there are a lot of very talented scorers on the Nets, that big three, and then even past them you have guys like Joe Harris, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. Just, I want to see how Giannis is going to play defensively. He's definitely that star defender on the Bucks. And he's going to have a huge responsibility seeing just all these star players coming against him. And how he's going to be able to play defensively and then keep up his game offensively and be that leading scorer. It's interesting to me that the Bucks have kind of one guy they're leaning on. Whereas the Nets, it could be one of three any given night. Yeah, what I'm most excited about, and mine has to do with Giannis as well, this is the first time since Miami, that his, Miami last year, his back's against the wall again. He's now going up against the Nets team. A lot of people were picking the upset pick, Miami over the Bucks. If that was a series that happened, that they liked um, the Heat to win that series last year. This year, I, I personally... I took the Bucks. I know you took the Heat, but it was supposed to be a good series. It was supposed to be. Looking at it, though, they sweep it. Now he's onto this Nets team. His back's against the wall now. He's going up against top talent. He's the top talent on his team. Is he going to back down? Last year against the Heat, he didn't show up. Didn't play all that well. He would let the Miami Heat slow him down. If the Nets do that, this series is over really quick. Really quick. But let's see how he responds. Now he has the big matchup where he's the focal point. The Nets don't have anyone that can guard him. He's one of the most unguardable players in the NBA. Then you look at the Nets. They have three players. 
you have Kyrie Irving versus Drew Holiday. That would be a good matchup. Good point guard against a good defensive uh, guard as well. James Harden, that's going to be tough. How do they decide to guard him? Is it going to be Chris Middleton that you decide to keep on James Harden all series long? And then I would imagine we're going to see a Durant versus Giannis matchup there. The Bucks match up well, but it's still going to be so tough because the Nets, it doesn't matter how you match up, it's how many points can you score. Can Giannis show up and lead his team and fight with his Nets? That's what I'm most excited about is can he, with his back against the wall, show up like he did not do last season? Now we're going to take a look into the MLB world here. Chicago Cubs are red hot. When you look at this team, they're playing phenomenal baseball right now. They're tied with the same record as the Dodgers. And the Dodgers were a lot of people's World Series picks. They're very close to one of the, to the best record in baseball. It's a couple games out. What has caused this turnaround? For me, it's the depth. You've had a lot of guys being injured or having to take some time off. And I didn't expect some of these depth guys, uh, guys on a 40-man roster who maybe started in AAA, Patrick Wisdom, uh, Rafael Ortega. I didn't expect those guys to be playing well. Eric Sogard, who is kind of a replacement for Jason Kipnis after he left, I didn't expect him to be anything. But he's performed very well. He's been one of the better contact hitters on the Cubs team. P.J. Higgins has been a good backup catcher. It's the depth that's performed really well, as well as those stars getting back to being stars where they should be. Javi's hitting home runs like nobody's business. Chris Bryant is playing well. It's just overall the team is better yeah when I look at this team last couple of years since that World Series you could say but especially the last two years this team struggled in a couple different departments one was their star players not really showing up they kind of they fell off from that stars category then you look at the bullpen bullpen struggled mightily both those things have turned around this year. And the one that I'm most excited to see was Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant's is such a likable player. And to see him get back on track and start playing well again, that's very exciting. And it has to be very exciting if you're a Cubs fan as well. But also, Craig Kimbrell last year had some very rough outings. This year, playing phenomenal. He's showing that he was worth that deal, worth that contract. He's proving that right now. This Cubs team, coming into this year, I said it was a make-or-break year. They had to show up, otherwise it was time to start shipping some of these guys off. They're performing. They're up there with the top teams in the NL. They're up there just in terms of overall record in the MLB. And this was after, it wasn't the best start. It was a slow start for them. That's what's caused this turnaround. I think they're playing for one another. They know, they figured it out. If we don't come together this year, we're going to lose guys like Chris Bryant. We could lose guys like Anthony Rizzo. They're all out there playing for new contracts, new deals. And in one sense, that can be a little scary 
just in terms of guys playing for new deals because you tend to get a lot better play. But that brings me into my next question. The success the Cubs have had right now is phenomenal, and it's undeniable. But is it sustainable? To the level they are right now, no. I think they're overperforming a decent bit, mainly on the offensive side of the ball. I think guys like Javi Baez and Wilson Contreras are both going to struggle a little bit coming down the stretch. Uh, Same with probably Jock Peterson. I think they're very, like, boomer bust guys. Right now, Javi's raking. He's hitting a bunch of home runs, extra base hits, flashing the leather. leather. He's just fantastic overall. But his his, uh, plate discipline is just atrocious. It's... It's absolutely terrible, and that's going to catch up to him. At some point, he's going to go on a cold streak. The bats are going to go cold, and that's really going to hurt this Cubs team. That being said, I think their bullpen pitching is for real. I think that's going to be the biggest anchor they have, their biggest source of consistency in this season. Ryan Tapera has stepped up. Dan Winkler... Uh, Andrew Chaffin, Craig Kimbrell is just absolutely lights out. This bullpen is so much better than I thought it was going to be. I had some high hopes, but overall I thought it would be kind of middle of the road. They're, I, I could pretty confidently say they're the top bullpen in the league right now. And that's, that's phenomenal. I think the Cubs can be a top team. But I don't think this level of success, right now they're 9 in their last 10, I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah, I I agree with you 100% on that. They're a very good team, and this will be a playoff team, in my opinion. They're going to make the playoffs. But what they're doing right now, they had to come from, not the ground up, but they had to work to get where they are right now. That is not something you can sustain over a season. You just can't. They're playing out of their minds right now. They'll drop off a little bit, but not all enough to take them out of the playoffs, especially within that NL Central. I think when you look at teams like the Cardinals, who also are playing pretty well, this Cubs team caught them in a hurry, chased them down in that division lead. So for me, this pace, no, but I think they're a good team. They have a lot going right for them right now. And that's the one thing with the Chicago Cubs team that, I'm seeing right now they haven't in a couple years. It's just pure confidence. I mean, all these guys are out there having fun and they're a confident bunch. One, a couple of videos that just stick out to me is um, Anthony Rizzo, just kind of the captain of this team. A couple uh, great clips of him when he was chasing down Freddie Freeman and he's yelling, Frederick! Just that video, just when you have a guy like that who's your leader and your captain, that rubs off on the rest of this team and they're having fun. Another video that sticks out to me is when Javi Baez had his little magical rundown situation where he was able to get the second after he ran all the way back to home plate, scoring a run, then he had to get the first base. It was Anthony Rizzo's reaction, just how excited the bench was. This team has confidence. They're having fun again, and that's something we haven't seen from this team, and that's one thing Chris Bryant talked about was he wasn't having fun playing baseball anymore. This team in general is, and I think that's a big reason we see him stepping up as well. And I talked about it a little bit in terms of the NL Central and where they stand with the Cardinals. 
I believe the Cubs right now, with how hot they've gotten, they have inserted themselves as a team to beat in the NL Central. I think they've done enough to get up there and catch the Cardinals. The Cardinals have a lot of talent, but I think this team, just confidence, the great play, and the Cubs have talent too. We're just forgetting about it. They had stars too. They've had them since 2016. They're those still those same young stars then, more developed now, and we're starting to see more veteran leadership from them. I think the Cubs are the team to beat in the NL Central. What about you? I think they're definitely the team to beat in the NL Central, which part of that is a nod to how good the Cubs have been. But another part of that is the NL Central is just a mess. <laughs> they're yeah, it's it's just a mess. I don't think there is really any team in that in that division, including the Cubs, that I would be confident to say they're going to make the World Series. They're going to really contend there. It it I just don't see that anywhere in the NL Central. Yeah, agreed 100% on that. And now looking at Chris Bryant, I talked about the season he's had. Compared to the last couple of seasons, a very much improved year. Getting back to shape a little bit. Looking at this year he's had, if you're the Cubs front office, do you extend him after this season? Or do you look to move on from him, possibly via trade, and try to get him while his value is at its highest it can be? I think what I would do if I was the front office is give him a kind of short extension three or four years uh that's probably the biggest thing they're uh butting heads on how many years he's gonna get be under contract because he is 29 and that's kind of the later end of when you get a big long-term contract but my prediction for what's gonna happen is he's just gonna walk in free agency and that's completely on the rickets because I, I think they're not going to add at the deadline. They're going to stay where they are and keep their money. And then they're going to perform poorly in the playoffs. Possibly advance around and then get knocked out. And then say, oh, it, the team didn't work. We're blowing it up. Yeah, and you have to almost wonder if that's been the plan. When you look at this team, the Ricketts don't like to spend money. They've shown that time and time again. Could that have been part of the plan for this team? Let these younger guys move on and trust that they can, let's say, do it again. Build it from the bottom up with young guys. Get a veteran leader and you're, find a new Anthony Rizzo and bring in guys from, from uh, the club. Get these guys built up. It's not the best way to build. Because, I mean, what are the odds you're going to pull an MVP, Chris Bryant, a guy like Javi Baez? Your veteran is going to improve so much like Anthony Rizzo did. And it's not great, but just looking at what they're going to do, I personally believe when you look at it, Bryant's now playing at a level that I find acceptable to give him a new contract because it is going to be tough to keep all these guys around. He's now playing up to a standard where, yes, I've it's extend him that's fine will they that's a whole different question and that's a question I don't want to get into but looking at it I think he does deserve an extension after this season he's having 
and just reward a guy like Chris Bryant, who's fought through all these struggles at the MVP year, reward a guy like that with an extension, and see how his morale changes with this team. It, I expect him to get even better after he does get that, because that's kind of ever since the MVP year, that's kind of over overshadowed him. Is am I going to get a new contract? Will it be Bryce Harper money? Will it be these new three hundred million dollar contracts? That's kind of been following him the last few years. Now he's kind of just out there playing baseball again. And I truly believe that's the best Chris Bryant you can see. He's just the one out there worried about the baseball diamond. Now we're going to shift into the Dodgers on this one. And the Dodgers currently sit at third in the NL West. Not many people would expect the Dodgers to be sitting at third in the NL West at this point. How big of a surprise is this to you? It's it's a decent bit of a surprise. I think there are really two factors that go into it. It's the Padres being good. The Padres, we, we knew that coming into the season. They were going to be a top team. I think the biggest reason the Dodgers right now are sitting at third is because of the Giants. And I think the Giants are just overperforming where their actual talent is. So if the Giants kind of, as the season goes along, when they kind of regress back to their true talent, I think that's going to make way for the Dodgers to really take that uh, number one team or just right behind the Padres. Yeah, when I look at it, it's a big surprise for me because I don't think anyone expected the Giants to get out to this type of start that they're out to. We were talking about earlier today, they're right around... Uh, best record in the NL, if not tied for the best record within the NL. Nobody saw that coming. I would be genuinely surprised if you could find me somebody that saw this coming from this Giants team. They're pitching well. Tyler Rogers has done a great job this year. The bullpen, which has been a mess, has done well. Kevin Gossman just got uh, pitcher of the month. He's pitching very well. And the bats are coming to play a little bit this year, and that's exciting. One piece that's exciting back on this Giants team is Buster Posey. He's just a fan favorite. He's just a favorite guy, a guy you have to like within the MLB. Getting him back, him playing well, It's being a Giants fan, this is fun to watch, having some fun right now. But the Giants have known to do this the last couple of years. They're going in, This is a lot longer, don't get me wrong, but they'll go on a nice little run for a little bit where you think they can possibly get in as a wild card and then they fall back a little bit I this team's I they will regress a little bit but I do think they have enough to get into the postseason still in that wild card spot I think we can find them uh there but looking at the Dodgers it's a huge surprise because the Giants performing that well if you told me second place no no not surprised at all third I'm shocked now I'd ask you which team is it gonna be the Giants the Diamondbacks the Rockies you told me any th- one of those three teams before the season started were ahead of the Dodgers, I would be genuinely shocked. And looking at this Dodgers team, sitting at third, are they still the best team in baseball? I mean, you look at it, I'm not going to say no because they have the most talent. I mean, just all over this team. The Padres are right up there as well. I just can't say no because I the talent they have is undeniable. Just a star power all over that roster. The pitching on that team. I mean, you look at the top three that they have there. Really, really good. 
it's hard for me to say yes currently right now because they are underperforming a little bit comparative to what I expected from this team. But I'm not going to say no because I'm not going to deny the star power that they have. The Dodgers are just so talented overall. In every facet of the game, they are a top five team. Uh, just right now, they're leading the league in runs scored per game, and they're up there for being on the lower end of runs allowed per game. And right now, they're uh, third in run differential behind the Padres and the White Sox. And the White Sox, they don't really have to worry about unless they meet in the World Series. The Dodgers are for sure in the playoffs, deep playoff run. It's just, are they going to be a wild card team or are they going to be a division champ? That's that's the question surrounding the Dodgers for me. Yeah, it, they do have their question marks, certainly. And now that brings me to my next point. Where do you think they finish within this division? For me, I still think they're going to win it. I think they're going to get hot down the stretch. They've dealt with their injuries, too. I think they get hot down the stretch, win this division. The Padres are this young, fun, exciting team. I get it. But this Dodgers team, nothing beats the confidence of winning the World Championship. The World Series for them, nothing can beat that type of confidence, especially finally after getting over that hump. This team finally now knows what it takes to win the World Series, I think they finally get they get back. They'll catch up, win this division, like we all expected them to. I mean, the Padres are going to give a good run, like we all thought, but I think the Dodgers still come out on top. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree. They, I think they're just too well-rounded. The Dodgers just have everything you want. They have a good bullpen. Their starting pitching is just out of this world. You have guys who are a fourth and fifth rotation guy, who would be an ace on pretty much any other roster. And right now, according to fan graphs, they have the highest percentage to win the World Series, uh, prediction-wise. That's 18%. They're going to make the playoffs. And I think right now they have the best odds to win the World Series. They're just a, a great team. Yeah, and it's very clear as to why they do have the highest odds to win the World Series when you look at that roster. We're going to take our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to shift into our record predictions for the NFL. This first week, we'll do the NFC East and also touch on Julio Jones one last time, possibly before he could be traded. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to In Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HC2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And now we're going to shift into NFL talk for our last half hour here. We're going to get our record prediction started. Each week we will do a new division. We'll give our record predictions all the way down until the Super Bowl. And then also award predictions taking us to week one matchups of the NFL season. The NFL week one is only 99 days away. And we're going to start our record predictions with everybody's favorite division in the NFL, the NFC East. We're going to start with that top spot in the NFC East. One of these teams has to go to the playoffs. Who's it going to be for you? For me, it is the Washington football team. Man, do they need a new name. But I think their defense is 
just gonna take another step forward, be absolutely stellar. It was great last season. It has another season to work and mesh together, gain that chemistry. They added some uh, players to that secondary, which was it. Their secondary was decent. It was their flaw in that defense, but it was still a solid secondary. That's going to get even better, and it it's just a weak division. They're going to have six game against six games against division opponents and those should be somewhat easy wins uh so i have them the number one spot there at 10 and 7 yeah i'm right there with you same record same team 10 and 7 for the washington football team i have them at 10 and 7 because there's quite a few things that i like about this team you obviously you start out with the defense you talked about the secondary. They have some young pieces within that secondary, but they also add Anthony Harris to the safety position. That's a nice addition for them. Then you go to the linebacking core. Like, okay, they could use a linebacker. Cole Holcomb, he's okay, but you could use someone else there. Okay, they go out, and they add first-round pick Jamin Davis to their lineup. So now you have a, a first-round linebacker within that team, and I also forgot in the secondary, they added Benjamin St. Just corner from Minnesota. So you're just young there. And you talked about the front seven that they have. That's going to be phenomenal. I want to talk about the offense with this team. Last year with Alex Smith, and I love Alex Smith, one of my favorite players, he wasn't great last year. He's not the same Alex Smith. He's coming back from that injury. You look at the other quarterbacks that they had in there, Kyle Allen, and everyone else, Tyler Heineke, all the other players, Dwayne Haskins that played quarterback for that team, they now have some sense of a, not the guy, but a guy, a quarterback. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick. They call him Fitzmagic for a reason. He does this thing where he goes to semi-decent teams and makes them a little bit better than they should be. Here we go. Here's his opportunity in the NFC East. That's a good pickup for them because now you have consistency at the quarterback spot. Then I love one addition, one key addition for this team. It's at the wide receiver spot. I love Curtis Samuel to this team. It's a great pickup. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, played together at Ohio State. They can be a great duo together. Terry McLaurin, great route runner, can get open, and very underrated in his speed. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's going to be able to show just how fast Terry McLaurin is. Curtis Samuel. Quick gadget guy can do a lot of things out of the backfield. And you look at the running back spot, young Antonio Gibson had a great rookie year last year. This team has some pieces. And when you look at the NFC East, the Cowboys roster wise have one of the better rosters in the NFL. They never play like it. The Washington football team coached well, have good pieces, 10 and seven record. I like that for them. I have them taking this division for the second year in a row, which has not happened in a long time. Two straight years, someone wins the NFC East. I believe the Eagles were the last one to do it in either 03 or 04, I believe. Now, the second seed, well, second spot in the NFC East, because I'm sure you don't have two of these teams going to the playoffs. Who is that for you? Yeah, definitely don't have two of these teams going to the playoffs. Barely have two teams breaking above 500 
that's something I'm going to miss with the new 17 game roster or 17 game schedule. Can't have a 500 team anymore. <laughs> that being said, uh, the Cowboys, I have them at nine and eight. That's mostly just off the back of Dak Prescott getting a big contract and uh, coming back from injury. They're definitely going to ease him back into the system. Just don't want to rush him. He's pretty much your future. But they have so many weapons on offense that if their offense isn't producing well, there is just a whole bigger problem. You have just huge names. Ezekiel Elliott, uh, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, uh, Amari Cooper. There's just talent everywhere on that offense. Your defense is not good. You added Micah Parsons which at linebacker in the draft, which linebacker was really the one position you didn't need on defense. He's, he's going to be great, but that's, that's not the biggest position of need you had. So I have them coming in at 9-8. and eight. That can definitely go down pretty quickly, but I think they should be a decent team. Yeah, I also have them a 9-8. and eight. Dallas Cowboys coming in second in this division. When you look at it, offensively, they're going to perform, like you said. They did last year until Dak got hurt. They were scoring 40 points a game. Defense was a huge need all over the place. The linebackers, I would say, yeah, I agree. That's their strongest spot, but they also underperformed big time last year. Leighton Vander Esch didn't have a good year. Jalen Smith played terrible last year. So adding in Micah Parsons, I think that's going to be a nice piece for this team, but I think he's going to be used more as kind of a depth, a chess piece, I should say, all over the place. I mean, he's going to come off the edge. He's going to be a stand-up guy. He's going to be kind of like a Isaiah Simmons, just not nearly as athletic type. He's going to be that for this defense. The Dallas Cowboys in their draft, the first six picks were defense. And out of their 11 picks, eight of them were addressed defensively. And that's right. That should have happened. That's a good call on Jerry Jones. And this front office making those picks. Micah Parsons, Kelvin Joseph, and then you bring in guys like Chauncey Goldson off the edge. They have nice pieces on this team. It's all about getting them to perform once again. Demarcus Lawrence, in 2018, was one of the best pass rushers in the league. Where has he been the last two years? It's time for him to show up. He got that big deal. He hasn't been seen. Jalen Smith got his big contract. He hasn't been seen. All these guys getting contracts before Dak and really haven't showed up since then. Interesting. Ezekiel Elliott, he got back to form a little bit last year, but I want to see the Ezekiel Elliott from his rookie year. 1,600-yard guy, major threat in the receiving game. Where is that Ezekiel Elliott at? Receiving-wise, there's not a single reason the Cowboys should not have two to 3,000-yard receivers every single year. Dak Prescott is the MVP of this team, throwing the ball all around. C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, two of them should be 1,000-yard receivers, without a doubt. This team has weapons all over the place. If they finally put it together one year, they'll be a good team. But I'm not betting on that with Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones. I have them coming in second in this division at 9-8. and eight. We now move to our third spot in the NFC East. Who do you have there? I have the Giants here. 
I I can see they have the potential to be good. They have the potential to possibly win this division. It's just can they bring all that talent together? Their defense was I think slept on a little bit. That front seven uh later in the year performed at a pretty solid level. It's going to be can that offense do what it needs to do? Can it come together and be a cohesive unit and play well? You're getting Saquon off a knee injury, which is always a scary thing for a talented running back. You have Daniel Jones, who really up in the air if he's going to be the guy there. They they doubled down on him, bringing in uh, Kenny Galladay. They have weapons on offense surrounding him. It's just going to be, can he perform? And I'm leaning more towards no than towards yes. So I have them third in the division at 7-10. and 10. Yeah, for me with the Giants, I have them third in the division as well. I have them coming in at a record of 5-13. and 13. When I look at this Giants team, you talked about all the offensive additions that they made. Kadarius Toney out of the draft. Nice pickup. Still confused with Dave Gettleman, what he's trying to do there. Big-time contract to Kenny Galladay. First-round pick used on Kadarius Toney. You had Odell Beckham Jr., who at the time was a top-five wide receiver in the NFL. Why did you ever get rid of him? Biggest question that I don't think I will ever have answered. Saquon Barkley coming back. It's a huge pickup for them. The front seven, very underrated. Leonard Williams and, for me, possibly the steal of the draft. Aziz Olojuari in the second round from Georgia. Phenomenal pass rusher. Has such a great bend around the edge. Von Miller-esque. He was one of my favorite prospects. And when I saw him slide to the second round, I wanted someone to jump on him and get him. I think that'll be a good pickup for them. They made a lot of big-time additions this offseason. And when you look at it, they got a lot better. But I still I don't like the coaching staff. I'm not sold on Joe Judge whatsoever. Jason Garrett, your offensive coordinator, and Freddie Kitchens is on this team coaching. I cannot I cannot say this team can win any division with Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens as the coaches. I refuse to do it. I never will. I have them coming at five and thirteen, coming in third within division. Now the last spot. Only team remaining for both of us, the Philadelphia Eagles. Where do you have them at? Uh, yeah, like you said, last, dead last in a terrible division. There just is no direction for that team. They're, they don't have young guys with upside. There isn't a core of good players that you can build on. And you're not in any way a contender for the playoffs you're in what's worse than that mediocrity purgatory. You're just bad and you can't get out. I have them at 3-14, and 14, just playing absolutely terribly. Their defense isn't good. Uh, they drafted Devontae Smith, who's, I think, going to be a good player and a talented receiver, but they've drafted three wide receivers in the past three drafts in their uh, first in the first two rounds and none of them have really panned out all that well your offensive line is basically Swiss cheese and there is questions at quarterback and whoever does end up in that spot he's not going to have time to throw 
even if your receivers are halfway decent. So 3-14, and 14, definitely a possibility to be worse. Yeah, I have the Eagles dead last, 4-13, and 13, so not too far off. About the same record. And when I went through the schedule, I went week by week, and I truly struggled to find games where I legitimately said, yes, Philadelphia will win this game. The division they play in helped them get a couple of those wins because if they didn't play in the NFC East, they played in, let's say, you stick them in the NFC West, I might have gave them one to two wins on the year. When you look at this team, the biggest thing I don't like, I'll start with why I don't like, Jalen Hurts. I like Jalen Hurts, but in college, he always had everything perfect around him. Oklahoma, great coaching, great weapons around him. Alabama, amazing coaching, amazing weapons around him. What does he not have in Philadelphia? Uh, Let's start with not amazing coaching, not great coaching. And the weapons around you, not great. You have Devontae Smith. They're trying to trade Zach Ertz, their tight end of a very long time. And when he's on the field, he is injured quite a bit. A top tight end at that. A top five tight end when he's on the field. So, and then just to even get back to Jalen Hurts real quick, they won't even commit to him being the starter even though you traded away Carson Wentz. What's your game plan here? I'm confused as to where we're going with this roster. You bring in Joe Flacco. Mm, great. It's, Flacco. it's Flacco time. <laughs> You're not ready for the Flacco takeover. Yeah. Joe Flacco, bring him in. Might have been one of their better signings. My favorite signing, I will say, great move. I do love it. Ryan Kerrigan, defensive end from Washington. Great pickup for them. I love that move. He's a nice pass rusher, especially with the cap space dropping down. He's great. Offensive line, old. The defense, the good players on defense, old. This team doesn't have much. They really don't. And you're bringing in a first-year head coach in Nick Sirianni. Not great. I expect this team, 4-13, and being the top end of the draft. I believe where I have them, they have a top five draft pick. They have to. Top five pick, and we probably see Nick Sirianni take his guy. That's probably what we'll see end up happening. I mean, last year, we watched the Eagles' not top receiver be Travis Fulgham. And if anyone could tell me who Travis Fulgham was before they started the year last year, I'd be surprised. This team, it's... Aging stars, they got to get over that. Uh, we were in the Super Bowl a few years ago. This roster's old, not the same. You got to blow this up. Blow this thing up. You don't have money. So, trading for Darius Slay last year, interesting move. You got to blow this up. And I think they wait till next year to do it. So, we see a very struggling year from the Eagles this year. So, that concludes our NFC East predictions. And now we move to the biggest news in the NFL world going on right now. Julio Jones, that trade saga continues. As of yesterday at 4 o'clock, that was the first time he could be traded and the cap hit would be moved on over two years because they were waiting till the June 1st um, deadline to trade him. Now, if he was to be cut, they could make it a a June 1st cut, but since it was a trade, they had to actually wait till after then. So now it's any time now. We could see Julio Jones get traded. So first thing I want to ask you, give me a final prediction of what team trades for him and how soon do you expect this? Closer to training camp, closer now, OTAs? Where, when do you predict this happens? I think it's going to happen within the next week. Whatever team he ends up on is going to 
want to he he's a star player. You want to integrate him into the system as soon as possible. You want him thriving from day one. That being said, I think uh, he's gonna go. Yeah, like I said, pretty soon. And my prediction is to the Colts. They have the money for it. I think they have the picks for it. His his value has gone down a decent bit in my mind, but I still think he could get a maybe a first in uh, not this year but next year because uh, that Colts first is tied up with the Eagles. So a first next year, I think that's for a Colts team that is projected to be very good, so that pick is going to fall to mid to late 20s. I think that's a pretty solid deal for the Colts. Yeah, in terms of trading a late one for Julio Jones, I think, yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair trade in my eyes. When I look at it, put up a poll on Twitter. The final predictions were ten, the Titans at 46%, the Patriots at 36%, the 49ers at 11 the Colts at 7 and one vote for the Eagles, which didn't make much sense to me, and one vote for the Seahawks. My final prediction for this trade, I have the Titans. And I have it going down pretty quickly here. The Atlanta Falcons don't have enough money to sign their draft class. They don't have time to wait. Once training camp hits, if they don't have these guys signed, that's a big issue. So they need to get this done and out of the way. And you could say, okay, well, they have until training camp to make this move. They don't, though. They still have to negotiate these deals with these rookies, get all this set aside. Julio has to go rather quickly here. In terms of compensation, I have the Titans getting them for a 2 and a 4. And when I look at it, I truly believe if a 1 was on the table, he would already be gone. And I think that's what they want. I truly believe that is what they want. You saw the rumors of that the first-round pick's been involved by an unnamed team. To me, that's Atlanta trying to push his value up. And, I mean, you look at some storylines that Atlanta could be trying to create here. They could be trying to push the interest of the 49ers. Oh, Kyle Shanahan wants them back. They could be trying to push that. The Seahawks-Rams get involved. The 49ers really are involved. Now, all of a sudden, the Seahawks and Rams got involved over the weekend trying to push the price up. Okay, I don't want him going to the Seahawks or Rams if you're the 49ers. There is a lot that I think Atlanta's pushing out to try to get this deal to go up. I think within the next, I'm going to say within the next two weeks, has to. It's a must within the next two weeks. I have him going to the Titans for a two and a four. And now we're going to take a look at our favorite weekend matchup. A lot of great games this weekend, NBA, MLB, both going on, NBA playoffs, as well, what is your favorite matchup this weekend? Uh, coming into this weekend, I'm going to go MLB. It's Blue Jays and Astros. Both are really up there in their division, vying for playoffs. Still early in the season, but they're in good playoff spots. Uh, the NL or the AL, I'm sorry, East is just loaded this year, so. The Blue Jays have to play even better. Their uh, their young core of hitting has been just phenomenal. I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is one of the most exciting players to watch. This year, especially, he's really taken that next step forward. 
And I think the Blue Jays pitching is slept on just a little bit. Hyunjin Ryu is a great talent, albeit a little uh, struggles with injuries and is on the older side. You have uh, that uh, their new rookie, Alex Manoa. I think he's going to be a future ace for this team. It it's They've struggled in the bullpen, but I think they can get past this Astros team. Probably uh, win the series 2-1 to one is my bet. The Astros definitely taken a step forward uh, since last season. Their bats are getting back to where they should be. I'm not a fan of the Astros still. So I'm going Blue Jays. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go into the NL with this matchup. Two of the hottest teams in the NL right now. I'm going to go the Giants hosting the Chicago Cubs. That's my favorite series this weekend. Series starts tomorrow. I believe it runs through Sunday. Um, I think it'll be a great series. I mean, you have two bullpens that are playing fantastic. Two pitching staffs that also played very well throughout the year. Then you look at hitters. I mean, we talked about earlier some Cubs guys that were performing very well. The Giants have some hitters also performing very well. Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, those guys are stepping up big. And Donnie Barrels, always just a fun guy to watch out there. I think that has, can be a really fun matchup. One thing you have to look at, it is in San Francisco. The Cubs' a road record is 11-13. The Giants at home are 15-8. and Will that matter, or can they shift the tide in that one? I think that's going to be a fun series to pay attention to. And you look at it, Giants sitting at 34 and 21, Cubs sitting at 32 and 23. They could, depending on what happens here, the Giants could extend their lead for the best record in DNL. The Cubs could take that right away from them. So I think it'll be an interesting series at that. That concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on Twitter, give us a follow at KALA underscore UC. If you're on Instagram, give us a follow at KALA underscore UC. And if you're on Facebook, give us a like at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. And be on the lookout tomorrow for a trivia post. Can you guess this player? We'll give you one more hint. It is a NFL player, and it does have to do with the theme of the number sixes in the league due to the month of June. Thank you for listening, and good night. See ya.